Welcome to 12 Scholars, a podcast dedicated to leadership development. In this second series, we meet 12 inspiring people, all known for being visionary in their thinking. To learn more about leadership development and how you can take your performance to the next level, visit our website and click the button to subscribe. In this week's show, we meet Alice Sparks. Alice is head of Invisible Manchester, a social enterprise that's providing leadership skills to those less fortunate. I used to speak about it 24-7 to anybody who would listen. One of the big things I learned was to expect the unexpected in a way, because who knows what's going to happen around the corner. Social enterprise is the way things should be done, in my opinion. So I think being prepared for just madness. Alice has learned quickly about the art of leadership and what it means to begin with the end in mind. She graduated from the University of Manchester with a degree in politics and modern history. But unlike many of her contemporaries, she went straight on to run a social enterprise. Having lived in four different countries before the age of 18, Alice learned how to see things differently from a very early age. In this episode, we sit down with Alice to discuss how we can all be more visionary by seeing the world differently. So welcome, Alice, to 12 Scholars. Thank you very much for having me. Hey, how are you doing today? All good, all good. How about yourself? I'm very well, thank you, yes. We're here today at Federation House, right in the heart of the historic quarters of Manchester, now called Noma. For those listeners, they might hear the tram going past, uh, we're giving us an old toot. Uh, but perhaps for our readers and listeners, how did you end up here at Federation House? I ended up at Federation House exactly a year ago and two weeks <laughs> and through applying for the Illuminate funded programme with the Co-op Foundation. So they offer opportunities for social enterprises and tech for good businesses to be given space in the co-working floor. So yeah, it's been exactly a year now and it's just such a cool place to be because the Noma area has so many different things going on, new work happening, but also lots of community oriented activities. It's such a cool place. I really enjoy being right in the middle of it. What's your earliest memory of seeing things differently? So <laughs> I had to think about this and I thought I wouldn't call it my earliest memory as such of seeing things differently, but a more recent memory, which probably spurred more action then was when I very first arrived in Manchester, which was September 2015. And I was living on Oxford Road whilst I was attending University of Manchester. And on my first day there, walking down the road, I saw underneath Mancunian Way, there was a collection of people who were experiencing homelessness, living in tents, cardboard houses they'd built and so on. And I just never ever seen anything like that in my whole life, I don't think. Um, so it was very much moving to the big city and seeing different yeah, sites. Yeah, exactly. So seeing that, I think, really took me aback. And then within a week of me living here, it had been entirely dismantled. And I remember seeing it on the Manchester Evening News, put an article saying that it was about to be dismantled. And there was these big skips outside, everything was thrown in there. And it was, I just hadn't seen or witnessed anything like that before. And I think having grown up in different places, I was used to adjusting or adapting. So every time I did see something new, you know, process it a lot more, maybe see things that I wouldn't, other people necessarily wouldn't take in or absorb because I was always used to new environments. So seeing that was quite startling, I'd say. 
And how did that make you feel at the time? I think I was just genuinely taken aback and I hadn't seen homelessness to that extent. Obviously I'd seen people who were living on the streets, but I'd never seen a community of people live in that way. And I think that's what really shocked me to move to Manchester, which I'd been told was such an amazing city and was going to have such creativity and eccentricity going on here, which it definitely does. But then to also have that right in the heart of the city, where is, there's clearly a problem here. So fast forward five years then, and you're now um, heading up Invisible Manchester. Yes. Working with homelessness, providing tour guides. Just take us through that journey from first seeing that homelessness, you know, witnessing it firsthand, mm. to actually getting involved and actually leading an organisation. Yeah. It wasn't so direct. There was, you know, there was a few years then in between before anything happened. And I'd been working in Rwanda, in East Africa, in a social enterprise there. And so when I returned to the UK, I wanted to do something related to social enterprise. And I came across Invisible Edinburgh, which Zakia started a few years earlier, or a year earlier. And I was just really intrigued by the idea. And I thought that it showed remarkable, innovative solutions. And it was something that could be very easily replicated. So I just reached out by email saying, hey, I love this idea. Would like to see something similar happen in Manchester. Can I get involved? And her response was just, yeah, go for it. And it's hilarious being able to look back at those emails and how relaxed the whole scenario was of just, yeah, of course, whatever, do what you want. Obviously now it wouldn't happen in that way. Uh, because we've grown so much and have worked so hard. So it's now a social franchise model. But at the time, it was just this small thing that was going on. So yeah, that was in my final year of university in the beginning, so September. And it was a year of going around with the different homeless communities, organisations and charities, talking to them about Invisible Manchester and just being a complete fraud for an entire year. And I'd walk in somewhere and say, I'm starting this organisation and we train people who've experienced homelessness. And people would be like, okay, cool, well, there's the door, good luck. Uh, because there's, you know, a huge amount of trust within homelessness. You're working with vulnerable people. Everybody wants to make sure that their people are going to be okay. So when I just swanned in there, obviously they were like, who are you? What, why are you here? <laughs> so with the Invisible Cities model, you'd seen it in action with Zakia yeah. in Edinburgh. Yeah. And you knew what could be achieved yeah. and you thought, well, let's do something like that here in Manchester. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. 100%. So yeah, it was a year of getting up and running and we... You say you, uh, you got some funding or you won an award? We did. We won a little pot of funding of £500 from the university initially. And then that kind of went into random things that we needed at the time. We were trying to get uniforms. We were trying to get, I didn't have a phone to use for work at the time either. And then a year later is when I first met Danny, who became our first tour guide. And then from there, we've been able to grow. It was always this, you know, needing one person to be able to champion the cause and show what Invisible Manchester was supposed to be about rather than me just telling people what it was about. We actually had to have someone in action and Danny was that first person. So that was October 2018. And so we started up properly and officially then. I'm very much from a corporate background. I've worked in lots of factories and lots of businesses, but social enterprise are fairly new to myself. So what's it like you're running a social enterprise? Social enterprise is the way things should be done, in my opinion. <laughs> um, when I was at a, an event in Berlin last year, there was a lot of senior leaders from a big corporate, which I will not mention, <laughs> there. And they were speaking about how business needs to be done differently. Business needs to be for, prof or for purpose, not for profit, sorry. And 
obviously I completely and 100% agree with that and that's what I'm saying, but I'm not seeing that happen. And it's only these small organizations and small social enterprises that are instilling those values right into the core of their mission. And that's what a social enterprise is really. And trying to get a balance between the social and the enterprise, because obviously what we're trying to do as a social enterprise is ensure that all the profits that are made are reinvested back into tackling a social issue. But then in order to be able to have profits, you need to be profitable. So you need to make sure you focus on the business as well. So finding the balance between where your heart is and where your kind of money making mind has to be as well. You know, there needs to be a balance of both of these things. So it's always almost a halfway house between running a charity and, yeah. and a profitable yeah, business. Yeah, yeah, completely. It's a hybrid of both of those. So yeah, trying to find a way that that can be achieved and not getting distracted by the hardships of it. Because obviously when working in homelessness, running a social enterprise, there are so many days where you do just want to be able to do work directly with people or be on the ground or go out and help people. But that's not what you can do when you're running a social enterprise. You have to have in mind what the, the bigger picture and how to actually expand and grow more and get more money in to then be able to do more. So what sort of skills are required then when running a social enterprise and running Invisible Manchester? Being incredibly opportunistic, certainly at the beginning. So just speaking to absolutely everybody possible about it and having no shame. I used to speak about it 24-7 um, to anybody who would listen. <laughs> um, I, re I remember the one of the first people that I approached about it was a random woman in a queue and I wanted her to help out with training. So trying to find a way to talk to people and kind of bring it up into conversation as well, I think is one of the biggest skills, certainly. Um, but then also being being slightly mad. I remember when I was at the Social Enterprise World Forum, I met this man who had sold his house despite having a wife and a newborn baby so he could fund this social enterprise ambulance company that he was starting at the time in Ethiopia because he was so invested in the idea. So I think it's finding that thing will, that will give you the motivation, passion and drive to kind of drop everything and just make it work. Very much you've got to have that cause, that yeah. reason to get out of bed. Yeah, exactly. So... Yeah, I think it is having that real goal in mind of what you want to achieve and where you want it to be. And yeah, and also have, how am I saying? There was a thing that I read recently about how to be a social entrepreneur, you have to have experienced uh, social injustice. So as a child or in your life or in some way, you have to have experienced it to be able to be so motivated. And obviously not that's not the case for me. I have never experienced homelessness, but it doesn't mean that I can't, work within it and I can't not see it, you know. And what sort of lessons have you learned so far from running the social enterprise? I think the lessons I've learned or what my expectations were is that there was zero expectation in that I didn't expect it to go here. When I first started, it was just something I really wanted to see a difference take place. I really want to see some sort of transformation or be able to do something that was in some way going to help. So I never thought I'd be able to transform this into my job. I never thought I was going to be still here two years later doing the same role or the same thing. I think it's kind of one of the big things I learned was to expect the unexpected in a way, because who knows what's going to happen around the corner, who you're going to meet or what grant opportunity is going to come up, you potentially take a new person on or which new tour guide is going to have a tour that could be the most highly selling tour in the whole of Manchester in 2020. You just don't know what's going to happen. So I think being prepared for just 
madness. <laughs> yeah. I suppose when you're running your tours, you don't know who's actually going to appear on your tour. Yeah, exactly. The whole serendipity so, of, of the nature yeah, of Yeah, of completely. And all of the best connections or best things that have happened with Invisible Manchester have been by pure chance. So everybody that I've met and has in some way helped or contributed or championed the cause of Invisible Manchester has been obviously a complete coincidence. So I have huge belief in just kind of planting all the seeds and connecting with many people as possible to then be able to hopefully see something grow out of it. For those who may be unfamiliar with Invisible Cities, how would you describe the, the model and, and how you're working with homeless people? So we are Invisible Manchester, which is part of Invisible Cities, which is a global social enterprise that trains people who have experienced homelessness to become walking tour guides of the city. So the purpose of it is twofold, to firstly break down the negative stereotypes that exist surrounding homelessness. Obviously there's huge misconceptions that people believe that those living on the streets are alcoholics, drug addicts, criminals, whatever. What we want to do is show that people have passions, interests, skills, and a story to share with everyone. And then the second part is giving people who have experienced homelessness, giving them opportunities to have a platform to tell their story, gain new skills through the training program in public speaking, research, customer service, and so on, to kind of get back on their feet, regain their confidence, and maybe go back into the workplace or maybe just continue being a tour guide. So for those who are looking to go on a tour of any city where you're operating, how do you differ from perhaps other tour guides? Our tours are completely different because you get to see the city through the perspective of someone who's lived on those streets. So they may tell you about their personal experiences of homelessness, but they'll also tell you about the history of the city. And there's something so special and unique about watching these people who had once been so disempowered and ignored to then be able to stand up in front of a group of people and tell them their story or what their favorite part of the city is or their favorite fact and so on. So it's really friendly, it's unique, a whole new perspective and light shown on the city and seeing places that you may never seen before, whether you're a tourist visiting the city and brand new here or if you're someone who's born and raised from Manchester, We've had so many people come back and say, whoa, I saw this place I'd never seen before, or I was made think about this in a way that I never had before. I went on one of your tours recently with Danny and can't wait to go on the next one with Laura. But when you're with Danny, it was quite incredible because, and I hadn't quite appreciated it, here we are in my city, but I'm walking in the shoes of somebody else. And you're actually looking at things that the buildings you'll have walked past, but every time I go past those buildings now, I see it from a different perspective yeah. and it's not just from what the official tour guide or what Wikipedia tells you. Here's genuine you know, life stories that really get you to see things differently. Mm. It's so meaningful and some of the places and the stops on the tours have such, have played such a huge role in some of the tour guides' lives and so to, to be taken there and shown by them is such a privilege. For many people, you'd look at a tour guide and you think, what sort of leadership qualities you know, should they have? Or what sort of leadership qualities you know, should be training them in? Yeah. And what I found with Danny is here's somebody who was very confident. Mm. Here's somebody who can actually stand up and do public speaking. Yeah. He's very effective. He was, uh, there was a sense of humor and you know, there were just lots of skills. He was, you know, the ability to tell stories. So this whole communication really shone through. They're what I saw. What sort of other skills do you bring into these tour guides? What are you training them with? 
through our training programs, encouraging them to find something that they're passionate about and be able to research and pursue that further. So for example, Laura, one of our tour guides, she spoke about when she first started with Invisible Manchester, she was so excited by being able to take initiative and actually in the evenings when she usually had nothing to do, she could then research content of her tour and kind of finding something to be passionate about and work towards is really important. I think one of the, just to add to the story that you said as well about how you asked whether Danny was always really confident, he certainly was, always had a very cheeky sense of humour, um, but has certainly grown over time, looking back from the very beginning to where he is now. And his tour just comes so naturally to him now as well. Uh, but Laura is someone who we saw the most amount of change and transformation happen. So when she very first came and joined us with Invisible Manchester, she sat at the table and said, I'm never ever gonna speak in front of more than three people, so you're gonna have to cap my tours. And we were just like, okay, you know, we're gonna make, we need to, we need to take people on board. We wanna, we wanna do this. So we're just gonna make, we're gonna make this work. <laughs> and fast forward six months, she get, delivered her first tour in front of six people, um, which was really great. And then a few months later, we were just prepping to go do a presentation. And she was asking how many people were gonna be at the presentation. And I said, ooh, around 80, I think. And she went, only 80, I wish there was more people there. So I think that's like showing it just takes a little bit of self-belief and recognizing that being recognized is so important. Having that experience of sitting on the floor and having people walk past you in and out every single day, obviously people are going to lack self-confidence or self-belief. So then being able to have the opportunity to go through the training, to start delivering tours is just going to radically transform someone's life and the way they look at themselves. And when, when someone's on a tour, how do, you, how do you encourage them to see things differently? Or what's the tour guides doing with their, with their people? One of the really important things is when people join a tour is that everybody is equal on that tour. You know, people, whether you're visiting the city or from the city, everyone's there as an equal to go on this experience together and share that together. And through even just the stops between each tour stop or the... The walk between each stop also is really special. You see people start talking to each other or people having questions. They may never have had the opportunity to ask someone who's experienced homelessness. So, so often people ask about whether to give money or what people used to do in the day when they were homeless. You know, they kind of, it's really unique because it allows people to completely break down those stereotypes that exist and just recognize that we are all equal. And that's what Invisible Manchester is trying to champion this cause of equality and justice. And I think in the tour I, I went on, it was a two hour tour. Um, so we went for, for an hour and we went from building to building with the, with the, on, on the walk. But when you're actually stood there with a former you know, homeless you know, person, you're wearing their hat. Mm. And just by virtue of being there with you know, th this, this group of people, you do see things differently. Yeah, yeah. It certainly makes you so much more aware or wearing their hat or walking in their shoes, you know, it's, you suddenly become so much more aware of your surroundings. And I think that's just a product of being on a tour. As soon as you've paid money to just go on a walk, you know, you're not going and getting a spa day or going on a roller coaster. You're just paying to walk around a city. And I think that automatically makes people think, okay, now I'm paying for this. I'm going to make sure I listen really carefully or open up my eyes more. Yeah. Or even just look up. So you just take in and absorb your surroundings so much more. 
Talk to me then, Alice, about the, the outreach program. My understanding with Invisible Cities, you're not just providing tour guides, you're actually working with other sectors, other, other businesses, in terms of educating them on homelessness issues. Yeah, yeah. So you talk about some of the work you're doing on the outreach program. So some of the other, you know, our predominant activity is tours, but we also go into schools and we do talks there. So we're in a school this Monday talking to a group of college students who want to do a social action project around homelessness. So that's one of the things we do, but we also go into uh, corporate places and do like uh, do talks there as well. Um, what else have we done? Another thing is obviously going back to the social enterprise model, the money that we make gets reinvested back into other projects. So one of the projects we did in Manchester was publish a book of Danny's poetry. And we finally published that in July. And the money that's being made from that then is going back to the Booth Centre, which is one of the homeless charities in Manchester. Uh, so there's some of the things that are going on outside of it. And at the moment, we're looking at a new project to take on, um, something different to do with the money that's being made. Um, so there's a few different ideas going around. Not sure they're going to be yet. Um, but yeah. Mm. We've talked about Danny and we've talked about Laura. Uh, what sort of success stories are you getting beyond your, your, your tour guides? With the customers, we yeah. hear really lovely feedback of people saying that the tour transformed their ideas or allowed them to see the city differently. Someone recently said it was the best £10 they'd spent in the UK, which is fantastic for us. <laughs> Another person said that every single teenager should go on this tour because she brought her 14-year-old daughter. Um, and everyone reports back as well that it's just friendly and fun and different and a unique way to have a look around the city. So it's really important to do, whether you're from here or not, to actually engage with the city that you live in, learn about its history, but learn about the present as well in this method of just walking around the city with someone. I suppose it's no matter where you live, if you learn how to see things differently, yeah. your life will be far more enriched and you'll you'll gain more from that. Yeah, particularly because there's so many misconceptions just with everything. You know, you can say people can be hugely misogynistic or can be really anti-refugees or can have warped concepts about what's going on with the environment and just having the opportunity to really engage with that problem and work or listen to someone who knows what they're talking about because they've experienced it or they work within that sector or something you know it's so important in this age of miscommunication and clickbait material or echo chambers and so on it's really important to actually engage with the issue yourself and then be able to make judgments on it rather than just listen to what you've heard you know What advice would you give your younger self? This is kind of applicable to everything outside. So within this working in the social enterprise, within homelessness, within your personal life, it's just that nothing will ever stay the same. It's all temporary. So that comes going right back to the beginning. What we spoke about is when did I first see things differently? And it was a product of moving around so much. And so I was grown up. I grew up knowing that I wasn't going to stay in some in one place for a long time. And um, I think just knowing that whether it's a good situation or a bad situation, you have to allow yourself to thrive in that moment. And the exact same then within the social enterprise, if I'm having a really bad day, nothing's gone well, maybe a tour went really badly, or there was a problem with a customer, or there was 
a I'd messed up over a date or something and just feel like oh god this is terrible but then the next day I might go and have a really great day training with the guides and Laura will come out with her one of her really lovely lines where she said recently that even if she became a millionaire tomorrow she'd never stop doing tours because she loves it so much and then we'd have a really great tour and there'd be a talk and all these different things could happen and no there's there's such extremities in what it could be but just remembering that it's always going to be in these it'll always ebb and flow so always change and having peace with that I think is so important to be able to then continue well Alice thanks ever so much for spending time with us today Um, not only have you got me seeing things differently but also thinking things differently too the tour guide with Danny was great so I wish you well for the future thank you so much and good luck with 12 scholars as well That was Alice Sparks, one of those people who has the passion and drive to help others see the world differently. In this episode, we learned more about how to be a visionary. Alice's advice, take the initiative and talk to lots of different people. Think about negative stereotypes and your own misconceptions. Try spending an hour in someone else's shoes. And remember to expect the unexpected. At 12 Scholars, we combine print, digital and audio to deliver what we believe is a unique approach to leadership. Our aim is to be your learning platform for leadership development. To learn more about Alice and meet other inspiring people, visit our website at 12scholars.com. In other news, Series 1 is available to buy as a printed journal. It's a stunning collection of insights and practical advice written and designed to inspire you to make a difference. To receive your copy, visit the website and click the button to subscribe. That was a 12 Scholars podcast. If you liked the episode, it'd be great if you could leave us a review and be sure to tell one of your friends. My name is Bob and I look forward to seeing you next time.